In today's show, we're talking Sacramento Kings and their fantasy basketball value upcoming for this season. Mikhail Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lewin. I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. It's the Sacramento Kings turn to go under the fantasy basketball preview blowtorch. It's not that hot. We're going to talk about their value sleepers and busts. We're going to talk about all of that stuff in this show. We're also going to talk about the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. A reminder, I'm recording this on the 22nd of September. Woj has just dropped some sort of Ima Yudoka bomb, but not telling us what's actually going on. And this show is releasing days after that. So if anything major happens with the Sacramento Kings in the next four to five days, it's not going to be covered in this show. But I'll cover it if it is major enough on another show when I get back from a quick vacation. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) (laughs) Locked on Fantasy Basketball Bowl. Invites have been going out. If you haven't received them, keep trying. There's a few, few spots left. It is a 360-team league for categories. It's a 360-team league for points. It's a $25 entry. Standard 9-cat, standard Yahoo points. The overall winner wins $4,500. The rules are linked below in the show description. They're in the show notes on the audio version as well. It is, I hope, going to turn into one of the most sought-after fantasy league um, positions available over coming seasons. I hope to continue it, and I hope it's successful. And we'll see how that all goes. But if you want in the Kings division, you email lofbbowl at gmail.com. It's not first come, first served. You need to put in the subject line Kings Cats if you want in the category league. You need to put Kings Points if you want in the points league. Remember, way more applications for categories than points, so you've got a good chance if you want in the points league, but better chance anyway. Um, over there. And then there'll be later on in the show, I tell you something else to put in the body of the email that you need to include. So be aware of that or on the lookout, on the have the year out for when um, I'm going to announce what that is. Let's talk about the schedule for the Sacramento Kings. They have 53 quality games. It's above average. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Nice number there of being able to play on days when you can use everybody. They have 15 back-to-backs. That's a league high. There's no one really that stands out as going to be a big issue there. No one who is predetermined to sit back-to-backs or anything like that. So I don't think it really matters all that much, really. It sometimes can reduce performance in back-to-backs, and that means there's more risk of blowouts and maybe one or two minutes get knocked off the top of a guy um, in that second half back-to-back. But overall, it's not that big a deal. Their playoff schedule varies. If you end on March 19th, which is where all of the locked-on fantasy basketball bowl leagues finish, they have 10 games. It's a 3-3-4. It's not great, but it's not terrible. If you finish March March 26th, they have 11 games. That's 3-4-4. Four, four. It's getting better. And then they round it out really, really strong one in Yahoo default. It's 12 games. It's the Moses Malone. It's the 4-4-4. Four, four, four. Great. The best schedule you can get. 4-4-4 four, four, four to round out the season for the Sacramento Kings or round out the fantasy season for the Sacramento Kings. Of course, there's a new head coach in town with Mike Brown. We've seen Mike Brown in the past coaching Cleveland and L.A., 
pretty decent defensive guy, really good assistant. I don't know if he's a good head coach, even though we have seen him in that role before. He struggled at times, weird circumstances at times as well. Is he the guy to finally get the Kings back to the playoffs? I don't know. One thing to talk about with the Kings is that people are obsessed with this idea that the Kings making the playoffs. That's the Kings. The Kings are obsessed with this idea. They have to make the playoffs at all costs. Trade away a young star to get an older player who might not be the best fit, but maybe it helps us get to the playoffs. Whatever they can do, get to the playoffs. That's what they think. But also people then translate that to, well, the Kings are going to want to push for the playoffs. So therefore, there is no chance of them tanking or sitting players down. And that is blatantly untrue. Do you think that the Kings last season didn't want to make the playoffs? They made a trade. They traded Halliburton for Sabonis. And you know what they did? They tanked. They sat Fox. They sat Sabonis down the end of the season in those last two weeks. They sat them. So to say that any player on this team is tanking immune and won't get set for random games is clear bullshit. We think they'll push for the playoffs, but if they can't get there, they will sit down. We literally saw it happen three months ago, or whatever it was, five months ago. It actually literally happened on a team that was gunning for the playoffs again, but couldn't get there, so they sat those guys down. They are not tanking immune. They literally just did it. And if they are not in the spot to make the play-in, they will probably, like most smart teams, will do it again. So don't look at these guys as being absolutely immune. Well, it's great. They've got that 12-game schedule ending April the 12th, um, 12-game playoff schedule. And we know they're going to be fighting for the playoffs, so they're not going to sit, guys. Well, if they can't make the playoffs, they did. They literally just did it. They won't. Maybe they don't do it. But to say because they're fighting for the playoffs, they won't sit, guys, is just not true. You can't say that. Well, you can say that, and I can say you're wrong, because you are. What are pressure points? What impacts projections for this team? What are they going to do at shooting guard? They had Davion Mitchell, who's probably a point guard, but I don't know how he fits with Fox. They signed Malik Monk. They've got Terrence Davis, who played a big role there. And then later on, they traded for Kevin Herter. Will they play Mitchell and Fox together? I don't think they will. How do all these minutes figure out? Does Herter play 31 as a starter? Does he play 25 and Monk plays 23 and Mitchell plays 24 and it's just a, and Davis plays 15? Is there just a mess of guys there at that position? Yeah, and that impacts, like if Mitchell's out on the court, that reduces Fox's ball handling chances. You have fewer assist opportunities. If it's Monk that's out there, he's just a pure shooter and it means Fox gets more assists. If it's Herder, he's sort of in the middle. He can do a bit of both. It changes a lot with this team. Also, their defense, it was really bad. And now they're going to be anchored by Sabonis, a bad defensive center. And they've got a bad defensive point guard. Can Keegan Murray be the difference? Harrison Barnes is a solid enough wing forward defender. But can Murray get things done? Can he be the difference? Is Davion Mitchell big enough to influence a whole team defensively? I don't know. And that all leads back into what I just said. Like, if their defense is terrible, and maybe Mike Brown is the difference here, if their defense is terrible, they're not going to make the playoffs. And then we lead to those other problems. And what about Darren Fox? For two years in a row, he's been really bad. And then, in February, March, April, he's really good. And somehow last season, Fox ended 
as the 60th best player, 50, 62nd best player in category leagues, despite being like 150 through about three months because he had like this big top 20 sort of run down the end after Halliburton was traded. But he did the same thing the year before. So can we actually get good Fox for a whole year? Or are we going to get this same split personality type situation where he's bad and then he puts it together towards the end of the year? Because again, that that means if Fox is good all year, then he's a third round pick, a maybe back end second. In points leagues, he probably already is. But if he's first half Fox again and does that same stuff again, then he's, you know, do I want him in the 50s or 60s? I don't know. Can he figure his shot shooting out? He's so key to them having some level of improvement. And he's just been so up and down the last couple of years. It's been obviously incredibly frustrating. BetOnline.net is not incredibly frustrating because they are the number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news and podcasts, including all of the week four action. Now, I'm recording this before week three in the NFL, so I don't know what the week four odds are. Although, BetOnline does have some odds up for week four, interestingly enough. They've got the Steelers three and a half point favorites over the Jets for week four. I'm sure that'll change after the action on week three, but you can go and have a look. Those numbers are up. We'll see what happens. See what if it changes after what happens at week three. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering information, which includes live betting, esports, and more. The fastest and easiest way to check in in all of your favorite sports is obviously BetOnline.net, and that includes Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. Breakout candidate. I think it's Davion Mitchell. Now, I am much, much lower on Davion Mitchell than others. I think his lack of shooting, his size are real issues in terms of him being a starting caliber point guard for a long time. But he had a nice little run at the end of the season. Yes, Sabonis and Fox were out, and he was playing massive minutes, and every time the ball was in his hands. Can he survive in an off-ball role? I don't know. But maybe he does. Maybe he's good enough, and I don't think he is. Maybe he's good enough to make Fox superfluous. Maybe. Do you know that Davion Mitchell is only like, I think, nine months younger than De'Aaron Fox? That's crazy. All right, Mitchell has just turned 24. Fox isn't 25. Um, but may- maybe he establishes himself as a starter next to Fox. They run two point guards the whole time, much like the Raptors used to do with Van Vliet and Lowry. The problem was both of those guys could shoot and neither of these guys can. But maybe he's the breakout. I'm not going to include rookies on this. Sabonis and Fox, I don't think they're really going to break out. Barnes is who he is. Herder doesn't really have breakout potential. Terrence Davis would be the other guy who might actually end up being the better fit next to Fox. But at the moment, he feels like he's pretty buried down the depth chart. Let's look at some sleepers. I just mem- mentioned him before. Keegan Murray. Now, Keegan Murray was the Summer League MVP and he was really good. But that Summer League team was terrible. It was really bad. He had sky-high usage on the team, much like he did at Iowa, and he was good. He shot the ball really well, but when you get to Sacramento, at best, he's the third offensive option. At worst, he's the fifth. Actually, at worst, he doesn't even start, and they start Monk and Herder together with Barnes and Sabonis and Fox. He's not going to be that number one guy. He put up really big steals on block numbers. There's no guarantee that carries over. Shout out Zion or Brandon Clark, who put up big defensive stats in college and never came in the NBA. And will Murray be able to be efficient and do it on high usage? I don't think that usage is going to come. But in saying all of that, it sounds like I'm shitting on him. 
His ADP is 124 on ESPN. I'll take him there every day. Like in the 90 to 100 zone, I think he's fine. He's at 96 on Yahoo. He's at 92 on Fantrax. There's been plenty of people. I think Ryan Knauss is one of them and Zach Hanshu from Roto World. They're going real hot. They're taking him in the 60s, which to me is crazy. He might get there, but it's crazy to take him. But I love that value at 124 on ESPN. I also think Kevin Herter at 186 on ESPN gives us value. Not sure if he's a massive upside sort of play, but especially if you're in a 14-team league, getting him in round 10 or 11 in a 14-teamer, I think makes a bit of sense. And then in really deep leagues, Terrence Davis is at 360. Now, I don't even know if he's going to be an every-night rotation player, but he was 225th in 18 minutes last season. And if he does find a regular role, then 20-teamers and 18-team leaguers will want to pay some attention to him. In a points league, now Darren Fox is going in the end of the fourth round, start of the fifth. In a points league, that's too low. Fox, despite his struggles last season, was 36th in Yahoo points leagues. In ESPN, he was 40th. And I think he's going to be better. We project betterness. That's not a real word. Well, it is, but it doesn't make sense here. So he's ADP at 47 on Yahoo. It's you know, I think he's a top 30 fantasy point player. On Fantrax, it's at 50, and then ESPN, it's 42. Like, I think he's maybe a second-round points league guy, definitely a third-round guy, not a fourth or fifth-round player. So in points leagues, you really go in on De'Aaron Fox. I think there's a ton of value. I don't really see anyone that's a massive bust. I could say that picking Rashawn Holmes at 120 is an absolute waste of a pick, but I don't like to look at busts outside the top 100. That is a bust, though. Don't pick Rashawn Holmes at 120. He's yeah, Fantrax is 136. That's not a good. That's not a good move. But I'm a little bit more um, easy. Go easy a little bit more on those sort of picks outside the top 110. Like Barnsey is it? Actually, we're gonna do it. The pencil, Harrison Barnes, Barnsey. His ADP is 111. I don't think I would take him there, but it's not bad. It's totally fine. So no one massively stands out as a huge bust on this team. But there are a few options you can take with your final pick in the draft with some upside value. And they all are the guys who are combating each other, against each other, battling each other. That's what I'm trying to say. For that starting shooting guard spot. It's Kevin Herter, it's Malik Monk, it's Davion Mitchell. I think Mitchell is probably the worst of that group because I don't think he works as a spot-up guy. He needs big minutes, big usage, big ball handling responsibilities to get there. Mitchell last season was 248th in category leagues despite playing 28 minutes a night. And in points leagues, he was 174th in 28 minutes a night. So in points leagues, I don't mind looking at Davion as a last-round flyer. But does he actually get the 28 a night? Does he improve enough as a shooter to be an an influencing guy? And the fact that Herder and Monk came in suggests to me they don't feel particularly comfortable playing Mitchell and Fox together for long stretches. But again, that might not be right. Let's look at the roster. We've spoken about Darren Fox a lot. He is a guy that if you are punting free throws but still want assists, he fits in really well because he's not a good free throw shooter. He's not a volume three-point guy that could easily average 25 points. There is the risk that a full season with Sabonis drops some of his usage and his assists, but I still think he's pretty strong. His field goal percentage also is pretty high because he doesn't take many threes. He gets to the rim pretty well. And look, there is a legitimate shot of him being a top 25, even category league player, if we just get him to concentrate to begin the year and to hit free throws at a slightly better rate. I would never take him in the second round in a category league, but with the way assists are hard to find in the third round, I think it's okay. I think Kevin Herter will start. 
and yeah, we just talked about him and Monk and Mitchell with those um, last round picks. And I've actually got them all projected not far apart. Herder is the highest one of those guys because I do think he plays the most minutes. And at this point, he's the best player of that group. And again, this team wants to make the playoffs, so they will hopefully play the better players. Harrison Barnes was really good last season, 95th in category leagues. But I'm not really expecting him to um, do that again. With Sabonis there, with Murray arriving, I think he'll take a usage step back. He's just boring enough across the board. He's one of the lowest block guys and steel guys you could imagine. His block numbers are just insanely low. And in fact, that's going to be the topic that you need to mention in an email to get into the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. In the subject line of your email, you write King's Cats or King's Points. In the body of the email, you've got to tell me how many blocks Harrison Barnes had last season. The answer is 14. And this is for a 6'9 power forward. He had 14 blocks. He does not block shots, ever. And that hurts his fantasy appeal. Then there's Keegan Murray, who again, I think he's in the ninth round range. Maybe it's eight, maybe it's 10. I don't think he's going to get as big a usage as we saw. He's a good rebounder. The steals and blocks, maybe. But if they don't come, his value does really get hurt. And he needs to, it's hard for rookies to be hyper-efficient as jump shooters as well. So I think he might, he'll have some struggles early on, I think. He's also a little bit older than a lot of other rookies. He's already 22. And then there's Sabonis, who didn't really thrive necessarily under Carlisle last season. He did end up 25th in category leagues. He was 20th in points leagues. But he didn't have his best year. I think that he's an elite rebounder. He's never going to get blocks, and he can be a subpar free throw guy. But rebounds with some assists and some solid scoring, the problem is he lacks threes, he lacks steals, he lacks blocks, and he's bad at free throws. But good field goals, good rebounds, good assists, and good scoring. And he fits maybe if you've got like a Giannis on your team, that sort of a player. And I think he's in the second round range. Rebounds are hard to get later in drafts. And if you are punting blocks, he's a perfect big man that boosts your rebounds but his value is not derived from his shot-blocking ability. Then there is Mitchell. As I said, a lot was boosted by what he did end of last season where he was running the show and playing like 39 minutes a night. Insane minutes. He's not a good shooter from the line. His three-point shooting isn't quite there and his volume's not great. He can assist okay and he can get steals and he's a really, really good defender. He's a really good defender. The steals didn't actually come in big numbers last season, so we'd hope we get a little bit more there, but he's a really good defender. Malik Monk, I don't think Monk replicates what he did where he was top 120 last season because he did that in 28, 29 minutes. And there were a lot of times where Davis and LeBron were out for the Lakers and Monk was getting big usage and he really played well. But I don't think he's getting that opportunity necessarily here in Sacramento. And he's probably slated to come off the bench. He's probably getting drafted a little bit too high. In fact, Monk's ADP on fan tracks at 107 is ridiculous. I wouldn't want to pick him there. To me, he might be a top 200, maybe top 170 player, but it's going to require him to be the starter. In the bench role that I expect him to hold, I, I don't think he gets there. Talked about Rashawn Holmes already. He is the backup. I don't think Holmes and Sabonis play together. I don't think they would do that. Holmes is the backup center. If he starts and Sabonis goes down, he's an automatic 12-team league guy, but he really struggled last season through numerous things. A million eye injuries and the personal issue, which has been resolved, and he was cleared of. They found out that his um, former partner lied about the child abuse claims, which is terrible. But he's back and he's ready to go, but you're not drafting him in 12-team leagues. He's just no no upside. And you don't like to draft someone hoping someone else gets injured. The path to that is just so not right. Terrence Davis, again, played well. 
broke his wrist or tore his wrist ligaments and had surgery. He should be ready to go. But they also brought in two other guys ahead of him in Herder and Monk. So I just don't know how much we're going to see of him. Trey Lyles also got some opportunities end of last season, but Keegan Murray sort of replaces him. Lyles did okay after he was traded for Marvin Bagley. I thought he played okay. I wouldn't have played him at all. I would have played DiVincenzo. Oh, not, wrong position. I would have played Chemezi Metu in his place, but they didn't. Um, Alex Len. He's useful as a backup center. That's a deeper league thing. And then Nimius Cater. Watch him. In deeper leagues, if Cater gets the backup role ahead of Len, he blocks a lot of shots. And he could even become a 12-team streamer when you're desperate for blocks. He might block 1.7 in 18, 17 minutes. He's not a bad rebounder as well. They also have Keon Alice, who's a two-way guy. I think he's okay, but there's just too many guys ahead of him. And there's just a bunch of guys on the back end of their roster. Matty Delavadova's there to be the third-string point guard. Chima Maniki. Casey Okpala, those three guys, they're all Mike Brown specials. Dalavadova from the Cleveland Times, Maniki from the Nigerian national team who's played here in Australia, and Casey Okpala from the Nigerian national team. Do they Were they just brought in to teach them Mike Brown defensive systems? I think so. They also brought Kent Bazemore, Quinn Cook, and Sam Merrill in. So three of those six will make the final roster. I don't think they're having any impact, but I would imagine the three Mike Brown guys will be, or at least one or two of those Mike Brown guys will be there to help keep the system going, and especially for training camp. The value of having them there is pretty huge. Just because they are Mike Brown guys. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Here on YouTube, you know what to do. You thumb it up. You leave your comments down below, and that's it. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.